Well, I'll say bless the Lord if you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Good evening, Kairos. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. Uh, This is our honest and unique attempt to connect to God and each other. We want to be the kind of people that bring the whole gospel to the whole person, anywhere, anytime, anyplace. Delighted you guys are here tonight. Um, I heard there's some rain coming, so I'll pray that, a little protection over us. Um, And if you're new, hi, so glad you're here, welcome. Um, I'm for you, I'm with you, uh, and it's my prayer tonight that you'll hear an inspiring word of hope straight from Jesus and also a challenging word of truth. Uh, We've been in a series uh, called Fault Lines. I brought my own markers tonight, I'm so excited, I didn't forget them. And um, it's been a spiritual formation series, and basically what we assume is that all of us has been formed by certain events and circumstances in our life that have affected our spirit and how we understand and process life. And so we've been looking at the temptations of Jesus. We've been journeying with Jesus into the desert through Lent, and now we're on this side of Resurrection Sunday. Woo-hoo, kids got candy. Uh, And we took a look at the three temptations that Jesus underwent in the desert with appetite, ambition, and approval. And if this is your first time hearing about that, you can uh, go back and find a wonderful lengthy explanation by yours truly uh, on the website. But I don't know about you, man, I've, I've loved digging down into this series and I know so far, it's just been about, oh my gosh, you dirty, rotten sinner, what's wrong with you? Even though I've never said that personally. Um, we're talking about digging into the fault lines of our favorite sins and our consistent temptations. And we decided at the beginning of the series that by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we were gonna dig past those to discover God's glorious deposits of his riches and his gifts that he has in store for each one of his children. So tonight, we're finally gonna struck pay dirt, okay? We're not in the fault line anymore. We're gonna dig down. We're gonna get to it. But um, maybe it's just because we're teaching through this and it's how a preacher sees the world. But I can't stop seeing this stuff everywhere I go. I have issues of framing it with it. For goodness sake, we had an Easter egg hunt and I'm chastising my kids because their appetite and ambition or needs are out of control. They're fighting over Easter eggs and they're complaining they didn't get enough candy. And so then I'm just like, oh, where's the approval? Where's the approval piece? And I realized it was on the way home when I withheld my approval to punish them for their appetite and ambition. (laughs) Just kidding, I didn't do that. My wife did, and I'm like, oh my gosh, woman. What's wrong with you? (laughs) That is not also true, or something like that. So we're gonna uh, jump in tonight, and I know... It it gets real easy sometimes when we see the misuse of these things and these desires to go, well, I just got to get rid of it. The answer is not necessarily Christianity, but maybe a Middle Eastern philosophy or religion that says, well, if desire can be misused or abused, just get rid of it. If you get rid of the desire, that makes you at one, that gives you peace, and then you don't desire, and that way you can't manipulate those for evil or for good. Just kind of, hmm... That's not Christianity. And so we're gonna discover straight from God's word tonight that God has given us uh, these desires as a gift. And I love what Dan Allender writes. He says this, desire lies at the heart of God who made us to be who we are at our core. Desire is both our greatest frailty 
and the mark of our highest beauty. So we're not gonna be afraid of desire as we dig down and discover where did God originally give this and somehow where did it go wrong in our lives. So we'll be in Genesis chapter one and we'll start reading at verse 28. Um, Let me pray for us as we're turning there. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, we're asking you to go before us in this text and make a way. And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. So Genesis uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. And all the vegans said, yay. (laughs) I added that part. That's not in my translation. Um, They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. So did you catch it in there? We're looking through this gear, how about this? First of all, for our appetite, he gives us food, right? He says, look at all that. Every seed bearing fruit, all that stuff, it's good, yum, yum, get you some, awesome. Then he says, hey, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. And now subdue in the original Hebrew, that's a priestly responsibility. That's not just go ahead and pillage the earth and let's forget about taking care of creation. No, it was a royal responsibility. So he's asking them to rule and reign with him. So he's given them ambition. And then before we get to any of that, what does he say? What are his first words? That Adam and Eve wake up, there's kids, it's awesome. And they hear from God, he blesses them. So immediately they have his favor and his approval. He blessed them. He said, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. And if it was just adults in the room, we could probably say that multiply might actually come underneath appetite, but I digress. I was supposed to move very quickly past that and I failed that test, I apologize. You're welcome parents for awkward conversations later. This is God's design. And in that, he's blessing us and giving us the gift in approval. He wants us to be known, to be loved, to have worth and value in his eyes and each other's eyes. He gives us the gift of ambition. He gives us the drive to get stuff done to actually see where there needs to be order, where there needs to be structure. Uh, My wife thinks this is the greatest gospel news ever because she thinks Jesus is in the list where you can just check them off, right? That's that's a good God-given desire. And then obviously for our appetites, isn't it just curious? God could have wired us without the need for food or sleep, but for some reason he wants to satisfy us with good things. He wants us to hunger and he wants us to thirst and he wants us to do those things after the gifts 
that he has provided for us. But what happens? Even, here's a question I have for you. If you were Satan, (laughs) if, (laughs) and your job description was, hey, take a look at this. God just created these incredible human beings. Apparently he set his love and affection on them and he's done this amazing thing and he's blessed them and he's given them purpose and ambition and appetite. What would be your primary strategy to destroy this? Would you go in with guns ablazing? Would you go in just tempting them out the wazoo? Or would you go, how in the world can I take the very thing that God intended to be a gift and turn it into a curse? My dad was uh, an army vet and he used to tell us, um, he had like three war stories he would tell us. He wouldn't talk very much about it. But one night, um, he was basically like radar. That's a, that's a mash quote, I'm sorry. He, he was like a clerical guy. Um, but he had to do uh, border patrol one night for his encampment. And about 100 yards outside of the camp, they set up a perimeter with explosives. And so those explosives were a gift for them to be able to protect themselves from an enemy invasion. And so if they heard anything coming in, they would just detonate it, make sure the border was secure, and everybody would regroup. Well, he talks about being out there and he's nervous. He can't believe it. He's got some old dude who's like three tours or whatever. And he just, that guy says to him, hey, Brooks, I'm going to sleep. Wake me up if you hear anything. And my dad says it was the longest night of his life. And about 2 a.m., he just starts, he's, he's certain he's hearing something in the woods. He tries to rationalize it, can't rationalize it. Finally, he wakes the guys up and he says, I think there's somebody in the woods. Like, do we need to detonate the charges? Guy listens and goes, no, private, go back, leave me alone. Wake me up if there's any real danger. That happens two more times that night where my dad is absolutely certain he is hearing movement in the border. And so finally he says, I've never been so happy in my entire life to see the sunrise. And part of, one of the things they had to do before they checked off of duty and patrol was they had to go out and check the charges to make sure they're all set and good to go for the next people that come on. During the middle of the night, the enemy had snuck in, found the charges, dug them up, and positioned them within 25 yards of where my dad was standing. Went back into the woods and tried to make noise so that the very thing that was designed to protect them would blow up in their face and kill them. The enemy has taken the gifts that God has given to you and is asking you to destroy yourself with them. His greatest tactic is not and I think this happens sometimes. Let me be careful of superlatives. There's plenty of people I walk through and their weakness is obvious, but I think his greatest tactic has been to destroy us with our strengths. And so it bends in on itself and the very thing that God intended to bless us with, Satan tempts us to curse ourselves and curse each other with. So you walk through the temptation, right? And it's here again. He tells Eve, hey, Look at that food. Look at that fruit. It's pleasing to the eyes, right? You know that appetite God gave you? There should be no limits on it. And then look at this. You won't surely die. Your eyes will be open and you'll actually know more. You'll know the difference between good and evil and maybe you'll be a better ruler when you do. And maybe, just maybe, once you eat of this, Either you won't desire his approval anymore or need it. You can be your own God. There he is. He digs it up, sets the charges, and it explodes. 
I wonder where are the areas in your life that you've seen primarily your entire life as a fault line, a consistent sin and a consistent temptation and you've drawn up too short not realizing that you have actually been given a gift from God. You've just satisfied it in all the wrong ways. Here's what Parker Palmer says when he wrote his classic, Let Your Life Speak. An inevitable, though often ignored, dimension of the quest for wholeness is that we must embrace what we dislike or find shameful about ourselves as well as what we are confident or proud of. So is it appetite, is it ambition, or is it approval? Here's something um, I wanna show you guys. So in appetite, the core issues are around needs and satisfaction. Do I trust God to meet my needs and to be satisfied in his ways and his timing? Ambition, the core issue is around weakness and strength. Can I trust him to accomplish what he promised he would accomplish when I'm feeling strong and powerful and when I'm feeling weak and vulnerable? And then around approval is the issue of rejection and acceptance. Does God's acceptance mean more to me than other people's rejection? Does that help clarify which one might be your primary one? So up until this point, and it's taken a great deal of self-restraint, something I don't practice very often, not to tell you where I am at this. Self-disclosure is my spiritual gift, or my wife would say, that's the curse that you've all exploded us with. But let me go first and kind of chart where I'm at to see if it opens anything up for you. Now here's the catch. A lot of times, different places in your life, there will be a presenting issue, but there's a core issue that's behind the presenting issue, okay? This is totally mine, undeniably, absolutely. It's always been approval. Um, My sacred wounds are easy enough to see. Fractured relationship with a distant emotionally father, both physically um, and emotionally. Um, It's school, being an ADD, learning disabled kid with dyslexia who failed the fifth grade and having teachers say, I'm so disgusted with you. Um, It is time and time again, it's moving around every four years, always on the outside, never on the inside. And so the lie that you are not enough and the shame that you will never be worthy or accepted unless you do this, 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 and this. So I was a kid with a gaping approval needs and I just run up into the group. Hey, what do you need me to do? What do you need me to be? All right, well, what's the value here? Okay, great, forget about any of my values. I'll do whatever you say I need to do if you'll just give me that acceptance that I so desperately crave. And it wasn't until my 20s that I could break through spiritually and finally experience the approval of my heavenly father. I lived in a shame-based relationship with him for the first 15 or 20 years. Always, I'm not enough, please forgive me, I'm so sorry. Um, And it wasn't until I truly understood my identity that I could start to heal and move from that. What's underneath that though is, 
the greatest gift I'll ever give you is to experience the love of your father. It's my sacred wound and it's my sacred gift. One of the biggest things growing up, Chris is easily influenced. That went the wrong way. Now I'm easily influenced, but I only give one person that permission in my life. It's the Holy Spirit. And so I love walking people through their guilt and their shame and going, do you not know that you have a father in heaven who loves and accepts and pursues you because of Jesus Christ? And I've got the scars to prove it. So that's the gold that's underneath that. Um, But a lot of times it would present itself in my appetites. So food and relationships, those are things that when my approval needs were not met and I was off-centered, that's the first place I would go for comfort. And ultimately some of those got out of control and started controlling me. Worked through that, but then also, hey, if I'm not feeling approved, I actually, believe it or not, every once in a while, I can kick into ambition. And doggone it, I'm gonna outwork and out-hustle you And I wanna prove you wrong. Why? Because you've rejected me my whole life. You tell me what the terms of acceptance are and I'll show you that I'm strong enough. (laughs) My executive pastor, Volbert, he's such a good guy. He's the guy who I report to. And like, it's just one time he's just like, hey, Chris, I think you missed this deadline. And I've got an email back like, I did not know about that. I will do everything I can to make sure that that's whoever. I'm just like this, what are you doing right now? It tweaked all my approval issues. And he just said, hey, are you, you feel like you're overcompensating here. You just missed a deadline. It's okay. I'm like, well, I don't like to do that. (laughs) Why? Because I'm afraid you you won't accept me. Because the truth I believe about myself is I'm not enough. And any chance that lie gets in, I have to return to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now watch this. Y'all, Satan don't care which ditch you go in. He just wants you in a ditch. If you got an appetite, if you're anorexic or gluttonous, he doesn't care. You still have an appetite issue. He'll put you in one ditch or the other. If you're lazy or you're a workaholic, he don't care. As long as you're in one of those ditches, you've got an ambition issue. And if you're doing everything possible to be accepted by everyone, or you're the rebel that rejects everyone and says, I don't care what you think, you both have acceptance issues and approval issues. He don't care which ditch he pushes you in. Look at me for goodness sake. Do I look like a pastor? Half of that is from my sacred wounds of, oh my gosh, you might reject me. So let me give you reason to go ahead and reject me first. That's, uh, uh, now hopefully it's a creative expression, but at one time, (laughs) I had a buddy have to call me out on that. He says, Chris, why is everything about you scream reject me? because then I don't have to risk your rejection. I can do it on my own terms. So where is it that the Lord is drawing your eyes and your heart? And don't forget your most consistent sin, your favorite temptation, chances are underneath that is God's gift to you and to the kingdom of God. But he's gotta get to it to heal it and redeem it, resurrect it and resuscitate it so that he can breathe his life into it. The answer is not running away from it. Can you imagine if Peter just said, oh, you know what, mine's ambition. Every time I'm putting my foot in my mouth, I say the wrong thing, I cut a guard's ear off, this is awful, that's it. I'm not leading, this, this is terrible. Oh, 
Jesus said, I see so much ambition in you, but you've got to learn how to serve and be weak and step into that strength. Is it any wonder that he took his head disciple through public humiliation and weakness and restored him back to be the leader of the first church? We'll get to that. We'll do that next week. I'll talk to you more about all the fun stuff. But wait, you gotta see this, okay? So I've said this about 100 times. Dave Rhodes, Mike Breens are the guy who introduced it to me. And Rhodes does this. Um, this is his deal. And I just love it so much, I just wanna share it with you guys. But he did this, and my jaw was on the floor, and I literally wanted to form tackle him. It was so good. I, I won't do it as good. But wherever we're at, we need to remember to take these issues to the cross so that God can redeem them. But watch this. He says it this way. What Jesus resisted personally in the desert determined the power with which he lived. What Jesus defeated permanently on the cross determines the power in which we can live. So what happens at the cross? Jesus becomes rejected so we can become accepted. His disciples, his own followers, the Jews, the Roman government, all mocking him and rejecting him. He becomes weak so that we can become strong. You don't get any weaker than dying. And on the cross, he becomes needy so that we can be satisfied in him. He said, I thirst, and he couldn't even get a drink of water. So my challenge to you this week is bring those issues to the cross so that he can redeem and resurrect it and you can drill down past those fault lines and those favorite sins to discover that gold deposit of my son and my daughter, I have wired you this way for the kingdom of God, for your good and my glory. Please stop living in fear, guilt, or shame. Do not let the adversary take my gifts and explode it in front of you. Hand it back to me and discover the power of the cross. Amen? All right, this may be too much, but I have acceptance issues, so go with it. <laughs> it could be I'm just seeing it everywhere. It could be I'm reading too much into the text, or it could be not. Revelation 21, he said to me, it is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and to end, the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. To him who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my child. It's the glory, it's the goodness in the garden and it's the glory at the cross and it's the grandeur that awaits for us for all eternity. Amen.